This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Pereira just came up with a big two-out RBI single into right field to give the Yankees that 2 nothing lead. They had earlier scored on DJ LeMahieu's solo home run. They're going to the bottom of the sixth inning. Garrett Cole working on a two-hit shutout so far through five as he appears to be back on track after he was roughed up in his last outing by the Red Sox at Yankee Stadium last weekend. We've spoken a lot about Shohei Otani so far in the show. He is actually in town. He and the Angels at City Field. They lead the Mets 2 to nothing. Kodai Senga has given up a couple of runs through his first three innings of work. Senga, who right now is the ace of the Mets staff as they are in the bottom of the third inning at City Field. But we're reacting to this trade between the Niners and the Dallas Cowboys. Trey Lance going from San Francisco to Dallas in exchange for a fourth-round pick. I mean, let's talk about it from the Dallas perspective. It's Jerry Jones. Um, he likes to make a splash. This is a splashy trade. A fourth-round pick, while valuable. It's not a first-round pick. It's not a second-round pick. I think someone with the upside of Trey Lance, who was very recently picked in the top three of the NFL draft, who is still... 23 years old I think it's worth a flyer that is a fourth round pick and then the other thing is are they completely invested in Dak Prescott does this put pressure on Dak Prescott it certainly does now we had a caller last hour who asked for my instant reaction and the scenario just kind of went through my head because this was not on my radar at all when we started the show tonight that Lance could be on the move and that he could be on the move to Dallas. But it does seem evident to me that this is a clear example. Yes, Jones making a splash. Yes, Jones does like to needle other teams, whether it's the Giants. He likes to needle teams that are in his orbit, in his team's orbit. And clearly the 49ers are in the Cowboys' orbit. I mean, they're two of the top three teams in the NFC, and those two franchises have met in the playoffs recently last year and they have been rivals forever so this is jones's way i think in in one respect of needling them hey you traded three first round picks for this guy and i know you have no use for him now so i'll give you a fourth round pick and now you can give him to me and i'll find a spot for him on my roster and i think that's part of it i really do but i also think a part of it is why not this guy was just picked Third in the NFL draft, and he's 23 years old. And you are able to take a year, develop him. Look, if you ask me right now to rank the quarterbacks in the NFC, and I've spoken a lot about this on recent shows, but if you ask me right now to take all the quarterbacks in the NFC and rank them, and right now Jalen Hurts is on top of the heap, and there really shouldn't be any debate about that you know for me I, th- I know he had a great season last year he was I think the runner-up for the MVP to Patrick Mahomes but honestly th- and this is my opinion watching him all year my opinion was he had a great season but I felt that a lot of it was the product of the environment that he was in he had a great defense he had a great line he had Great skill position players. He had two great wide receivers. They had a terrific running game, and I thought that all benefited him. And all of those things are true, by the way. 
But then the Super Bowl happened. And he almost, he was maybe the best player on the field in the Super Bowl. You can't really play much better than he did on a bigger stage. And once I saw that, that to me puts any question to the side of who's the best quarterback in the NFC. And for a million years, it was Aaron Rodgers. So this has never been a debate. For, for 10 years, who's the best quarterback in the NFC? It was Aaron Rodgers. Easy. And last year, Jalen Hurts took the mantle from Rodgers, and now it's his right now. But the question that I keep asking, and I get different answers. That's why it's so interesting, and I keep going back to it. Who's the second best quarterback in the NFC? Because one of my stances leading into this NFL season is that if Daniel Jones continues along his trajectory, if Darren Waller stays healthy, if the offensive line can protect Jones and he continues to improve like he did last year, then Daniel Jones could be, by the end of the year, the second-best quarterback in the NFC. And that is part because of Jones and his improvement, and that's part because if you look around the NFC quarterbacks, there is not a lot of depth of high-end quarterbacks in that conference. They're all in the AFC outside of Jalen Hurts. But that brings me back to Dak Prescott because right now I would list Dak as the number two quarterback in the NFC, and it's almost by default. He's won a lot of games. He's put up a lot of passing numbers. He's always had dynamic receiving weapons at his disposal as Cole gives up a solo home run to Yandy Diaz, I believe. So it's now 2-1 to one Yankees in the bottom of the sixth inning. Dak has always had terrific offensive weapons around him. Wide receivers, offensive line, running backs, Ezekiel Elliott, now Tony Pollard. And he's put up really big numbers as a result of that. But he's never elevated that team where you felt like they were a true Super Bowl contender. He hasn't. Does he have that in him? Guys like that, the further along they go in their careers, and he's had a good career, but he has not had a great career. He's made a lot of money. He's thrown for a lot of passing yards. He's thrown a lot of touchdowns. He's got good mobility. He can use his legs. He's got a strong arm, but he's not an upper echelon quarterback. And the further you go in your career, that's who you become. Like That's who you are. He's, he's a solid quarterback. He's the second-best quarterback in the NFC. And NFC, by the way, that is a pretty weak quarterback crop. But if you're the Cowboys and you haven't been to the NFC Championship game since 1995 and you haven't been to the Super Bowl since 1995, but you've been knocking on the door, you are now a above 500 team every single year. You're either winning the division or finishing runner-up and getting into the playoffs as a wild card. And you haven't gone on a deep playoff run yet. At a certain point, does it become the quarterback's fault? Does he become the scapegoat for that lack of playoff success? Yes, that's how the NFL works. The head coach and the quarterback. The first head coach is already gone. The new head coach has a huge spotlight on him right now in Mike McCarthy. And so does Dak Prescott. And he already had a spotlight on him. And now you bring in Trey Lance. So if I'm the Cowboys, how do I treat this? I put Trey Lance as my third-string quarterback right now. And that's not as big a hit to him as it was being the third-string quarterback in San Francisco. He's got no history in Dallas. He just got there. There's no rush for Trey Lance to get on the field. 
And Rush is an interesting choice of words there because Cooper Rush is their backup quarterback. And he's a fine backup quarterback. Remember the job he did last year when Dak broke his thumb and everybody thought the sky was falling and the Cowboys were going to fall out of it before Halloween? And Cooper Rush kept them in it? And those games that he won helped them get to the playoffs? Cooper Rush is an above-average backup quarterback. So you keep him in that role until Trey Lance is ready. You don't need to rush Trey Lance now. You can take him. You can mold him. You can build back up his confidence. You know, the 49ers drafted him third, and they gave up all of those first-round picks. They had to just – and then their their first year, they went to the NFC Championship game with Jimmy Garoppolo. And they almost beat the Rams to go to the Super Bowl two years ago when he was a rookie. He wasn't ready to take over that team. And I don't know that the 49ers were expecting to go to the NFC Championship game. So then the question was, all right, well, who's going to be our starting quarterback year two? Because the clock's ticking on his rookie contract, and we gave up all of these draft picks to move up to get this guy. So they kind of forced him into that job, and they cast Garoppolo aside to justify what they gave up in that 2021 draft to pick Trey Lance. And he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready for a number of reasons, one of which I can only assume is the lack of experience he had in college. He had played one game, really one meaningful game, since 20, since COVID, since before COVID. So it didn't work out, and then he got hurt. So that actually made the decision easier. They probably wanted to go to Garoppolo, and because Trey Lance got hurt, they were able to go to Garoppolo. And I'm sure the plan was, all right, let's get through this season, see how far we could take this, and then Trey Lance is our starting quarterback in 2023. But then Garoppolo got hurt, and Brock Purdy, who's also young, also on a rookie contract, a cheaper rookie contract, he comes in and he doesn't lose a game. So now he's the starting quarterback. So now what do you do with Trey Lance? It turns out you don't need him. So Trey Lance... While that was a hit to him, you know, ego, psychologically, going from the 2022 opening day starting quarterback to 2023, you're the third string quarterback behind Sam Darnold, a guy who's already flamed out of two different NFL teams. You're backing that guy up. He doesn't have that history in Dallas. There are no expectations for him in Dallas. He could take it slow. This is Dak Prescott's team. This is Dak Prescott's year. But you know what? If Dak doesn't play well, if this season ends in another... I mean, Dak was awful. Remember how bad he was in that wild card game against the 49ers last year? That ridiculous game that ended with Ezekiel Elliott getting flattened on that stupid trick play that Mike McCarthy drew up? But Dak was awful in that game. Remember that? He left such a sour taste in everyone's mouths. If their season ends in similar fashion this year, and Trey Lance has come along and they like his progress... I can absolutely see him being their starting quarterback next year. And think about this. If you can get off of Dak's contract, and now your starting quarterback is still on his rookie contract, what's the best scenario? What's the best path to win in the NFL? The best path to win is you have a quarterback on his rookie contract who develops within his first year or two and proves that he's the real deal while he's still on his rookie contract. Because while you're still paying him that smallish amount of money, you can spend that money elsewhere throughout your roster to give him as many weapons 
as you can. And they would have the opportunity to do that next year. It would be year four for Trey Lance. Once that quarterback, the Seahawks are the greatest example of this with Russell Wilson. Once that quarterback signs the contract, then you've got to start chopping salary from everywhere else on that roster. And it's a catch-22 because if you have a great roster, it increases the chances that the quarterback is going to flourish. But if the quarterback's going to flourish, the first thing you got to do is you got to pay that guy. Russell Wilson was a third-round pick, and he was pretty good right away. And by his second year, they were in the Super Bowl on the backs of their defense, and they absolutely embarrassed Peyton Manning and the Broncos 43-8 to at MetLife Stadium. So two years into the league, this third-round pick is a Super Bowl champion. Then they go back to the Super Bowl the next year. They're about to go back-to-back, and then the idiotic play in which Wilson threw the interception to Malcolm Butler in the end zone, cost them back-to-back championships. But by that point, Wilson had proven he's a top-flight quarterback. I mean, he went to two Super Bowls in his first three years. So what do you do? You have to pay him. And there goes the Legion of Boom. There goes that linebacking core. There goes that defensive line. There goes Marshawn Lynch. And Russell Wilson was never the same again. Now the truly, truly great quarterbacks can overcome that. Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers... He hardly played on his rookie deal with Green Bay because he backed up Brett Favre for four years before he finally got the job. And then once he got the job, he was pretty good his first year as a starter, and then he was off and running. And for the next 10 years, he was the best quarterback in the world. In the world. Didn't matter how much they paid him. It didn't matter how they had to manipulate the rest of the roster for the Packers. They were division champs every year, in contention every year. Now, they never won the ultimate, but they were always in the hunt. So the great quarterbacks can overcome when they get paid. They can still keep their team playing at a high level. Russell Wilson wasn't able to do that. Yeah, they went to the playoffs a couple of times, but they were never the same. But this is a long way of saying that the best-case scenario in the NFL is to have a solid starting quarterback still on his rookie contract, and then you can just surround him with tons and tons of talent and spend your money there. And that is how you win championships. That's how the Bengals got so good so fast. We found out year one, Joe Burrow was the real deal. Still on his rookie contract. They build around him. And away you go. To the Super Bowl, last year to the AFC Championship game. We'll see once his big contract kicks in. After his rookie deal has expired. But interesting development with Dallas. They now have Trey Lance. And in my opinion, the clock is ticking on Dak Prescott as their starting quarterback. All right, we're in the top of the seventh inning at Tampa. Yankees clinging to a 2-1 to lead. Aaron Judge at the plate with a runner on. We'll continue to follow along with that. Shohei Otani in town with the LA Angels. They lead the Mets 2-1. to They're in the top of the fourth inning. We'll take a break. We'll get back to the phones at 1-800-919-3776 on 98.7 ESPN New York. This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. You get the best of the best. And how's this for a top five, top six, really, including ties, all of them separated by just four shots. You have Colin Morikawa and Victor Hovland tied for the lead at 16 under par. This is through two rounds. Third place, Scotty Scheffler is at minus 14, two shots back. In fourth place, Keegan Bradley's at minus 13. He's three shots off the pace. And tied for fifth, Xander Shoffley and John Rahm at minus 12, both of them 
four shots off the pace. The leaders, Morikawa and Hovland, tee off tomorrow afternoon at 3 o'clock. That's the leaderboard update brought to you by Glenfiddich Single Malt Scotch Whiskey, the world's most awarded single malt scotch whiskey, skillfully crafted. Enjoy responsibly. Glenfiddich Single Malt Scotch Whiskey, ABV 40% alcohol by volume, 2023 imported by William Grant & Sons, New York, New York. Pat O'Keefe with you on 98.7 on this Friday night here till 10 o'clock. Yankees are starting to knock the Tampa Bay pitching around a little bit. In the top of the seventh inning, the lead is now 5-1. to one. I think the biggest hit in the game was by Everson Pereira back in the fifth inning because the, uh, excuse me, the sixth inning. The Yankees led one nothing at the time. They've had a lot more opportunities to score in this game than have the Rays. The Rays' only run came on a solo home run in the sixth inning. But the Yankees hadn't capitalized. But with two outs and Pereira at the plate in the top of the sixth inning, a big base hit into right field doubled their lead to two to nothing, and they've added three here in the seventh. Glaber Torres, a ground rule double scoring DJ LeMahieu, and the next batter, Giancarlo Stanton, a two-run double scoring Judge and Torres. And that's been one of the problems for the Yankees this season. It seems so easy. LeMahieu, Judge, Torres, Stanton. That's a good better than good, top four of your lineup, right? How many times can you think of this season where that group put together a sustained rally? I can't think of very many instances of that happening at all because LeMahieu has struggled, Stanton has struggled, Torres has been fine, Judge has been out half of the year. The problem with the Yankees, one of the many problems... That one through four right there, that's supposed to be a gauntlet. And then, of course, Anthony Rizzo is the one name missing from that. That's supposed to be a gauntlet. LeMahieu, Judge, Torres, Stanton, Rizzo. That's what this Yankees lineup was supposed to be built on. Judge has done his part when healthy. Stanton has been terrible. LeMahieu's been bad. Rizzo's been injured and terrible. Torres has been fine, maybe even a little bit better than adequate. It's one of the many, many problems with the Yankees this year. But they lead Tampa Bay 5-1 to one as they head to the bottom of the seventh inning. Garrett Cole, take a look at his line so far. He's gone six. He allowed just the solo home run in the bottom of the sixth inning. He's at 82 pitches. He's already got nine strikeouts. So, this is a very, very nice bounce-back game for Cole. He's got his ERA back under three. It's a 2.98 as he gets set to take the mound for the bottom of the seventh inning. Uh, the Mets and the Angels at City Field. It's 2-1 to one still. Anaheim, uh, Anaheim, the Los Angeles Angels over the New York Mets. I uh, want to get to something. We've been talking a lot of NFL. And Bill Barnwell, who does a great job on ESPN.com, uh, has a lot of great uh, you know statistically based content earlier this week he had a column the NFL teams that are most likely to take a step back in 2023-2024 the first name on the list I think is obvious I think if you ask anybody who follows the NFL closely top of your head which team that had a good season last year is most likely to take a step back the Minnesota Vikings is an obvious choice. I mean, what they did last year was extremely difficult. They went 13-4 and four 
And over the course of a 17-game season, they were outscored by three points. That's because they had that one game against Dallas where they lost by like 40 points. But still, to go 13-4 and four and have a minus three-point differential is almost mathematically impossible. So that alone would lead you to believe that Minnesota is due for a regression. I mean, look, this is taking a step back. They can go 10-7, and seven, which is a very good season, and take a big step back by losing three fewer games. Minnesota last year, their point differential and the fact that they were 9-0 and in games decided by seven points or fewer, those were the two biggest factors that people were pointing to heading into the Giants' wild card matchup against them that gave people – uh, reason to believe the Giants could beat them. That and the fact that the Giants almost beat them on Christmas Eve in that same building. And that's exactly what happened. The Giants went in there. They had a great game plan. Daniel Jones played probably his best game. They got a lot from Saquon Barkley. They got a lot from their defensive line, and they won that game. Now, the next team on Barnwell's list is the Giants. Now, mathematically, I can see how he would have the Giants on this list. They were 9-7-1 and one last year, and very similar fashion to the Vikings. They weren't as good record-wise, but the Giants also had a negative point differential last year. They were minus six. So think about that. You had a wild-card playoff game between two teams, each of whom had minus point differentials for the season. The Giants at 9-7-1 and one with a minus point differential – the Giants won a lot of games early last season because of superior coaching and the combination of really just some boneheaded mistakes by their opposition. And you go through, especially the beginning of the season, and this is before anybody had any inkling that the Giants could be good, but you know they were down 13 to nothing at Tennessee in the season opener. And they end up scoring a touchdown late, going for two, scoring Saquon Barkley on a trick play and then holding their breath while Tennessee missed a potential game-winning field goal at the horn. They squeaked past Carolina in week number two. Uh, They squeaked past Chicago in week number four. It was the Green Bay game in London where you really started to feel that this Giants team was something more than beating bad opponents. I mean, Carolina was bad. Chicago was bad. Tennessee, as it turned out, wasn't good. Green Bay, as it turns out, wasn't great last year. But the execution in that Green Bay game, especially with Daniel Jones out, or excuse me, with Saquon Barkley out for a large portion of that game in that fourth quarter, really showed you that they had something different with this head coach. And then you come back to MetLife Stadium in week six, and that Baltimore game where they're down by 14 points, and Lamar Jackson throws that ridiculous interception, and you come back to win that game, In the fourth quarter, Jacksonville, you were looking good and you had to hold on and win for dear life. So there were a lot of games early in last season where the Giants probably should have, of those first six games that they won, they probably should have won three of them. So what does that do to the record? Well, that would push the record to 6-10-1. The Giants probably played more like a 7-9-1 team um, than a 9-7-1 team. But they went 9-7-1. And the reason for that, in my mind, is it was superior coaching. The Giants were the better coach team pretty much every time they took the field last year, offensively with Dable and Kafka, defensively with Wink Martindale, and Dable just always seemed to have a really firm grasp 
on managing the game, especially in late situations. You know, the Green Bay game, taking the paw, taking the intentional safety to run extra time off the clock, things like that that a lot of coaches don't have the guts to do, or in some cases, dare I say, don't even have the knowledge to do. And then as the season went on, it got a little hairy there in the middle. They had an ugly win against Houston. Then they lose to Detroit convincingly, but that was when the Lions, who had talent, were starting to hit their stride. Giants lost on Thanksgiving to Dallas by eight, but you never really thought they had a chance to win that game. And then things cratered in that Philadelphia game in week 14 when they lost 48-22 to at home. And that dropped them to 7-5-1 and after they had been 6-1, and and you're wondering, oof. But you got to look at, if you're going to project the Giants as a team that is going to regress to the mean because of their negative point differential over the totality of last season, I think you have to look more at how they finished the season than at the whole season. And what I mean by that is starting with that Sunday night game in Washington in week 15, a game that they had to have. And they, that was the game where Thibodeau got the scoop and score on the sack, and they won that game. And then on Christmas Eve, they lose to Minnesota on the last second field goal, but that was a great game against a really good opponent. And then on New Year's Day, with a chance to clinch a playoff spot, they leave no doubt and they blow out Indianapolis. And then even the way they finished the season in week 18 with Davis Webb making the start and Jalen Hurts playing for Philadelphia, you know, Philadelphia wanted to go in there, get Hurts some reps and have him on the sideline in a winter coat by the middle of the second quarter. He had to play that entire game because the Giants wouldn't go away. The last four games of the Giants season and then into the playoff game against Minnesota, if I'm looking to size up this Giants team, how they're going to be this year, that's the team that I'm looking at. I'm not looking at the team that squeaked past Jacksonville, got lucky against Baltimore, got lucky against Tennessee, played terribly against Houston, but only won because Houston was an awful football team. I'm not looking as hard at that team as I am at the team that finished the season last year. I don't think the Giants take a huge step back this year. And the only argument in my mind that they would is that their schedule is tougher. But while their schedule is tougher, the NFC East is one of the top three divisions in the NFL, and so is the AFC East. The AFC East might be the best division in the NFL. The best three divisions are the NFC East, the AFC East, and the NFC North. And the Giants play two of them. And one of them is their own division, so they play that one twice. So that accounts for... 10 of their 17 games. There's not an easy game in that bunch. What's the easiest game among those 10? The game at home against Washington? Then that's not an easy game. All right, so the schedule is one reason where I think they might take a step back. But if you look at them in the context of the rest of the NFC, who is taking, who is taking those playoff spots? You know, you know Philadelphia is going to be there. You figure Dallas is going to be there. Somebody's got to win by default. Somebody's got to win the NFC South. And you know the 49ers are going to be there. So that's five teams. If you give Dallas one of the wild card spots, or maybe Dallas wins the division, you give Philadelphia one of the wild card spots. Either way, they're both going to be there. So there's two wild card spots left. And LeMayhu just hit his second home run of the night, almost in the exact same spot. Had to wait a minute. Wow. This last one was 393. 
I can't wait to see what this one was. I thought for a second it was a replay. It's his 11th of the season. And with 405 feet, it's funny, it was almost the exact same spot. It was 12 feet further. See ya! So it's 6-1. to one, And the Yanks, are, the Yanks are having some fun in St. Petersburg tonight. But back to the NFC. Who's making the playoffs? A second team out of the NFC North? The Packers? The Vikings? Sure, the Vikings. You can consider them a candidate. They went to the playoffs last year. Are the Bears going to make a playoffs? Is Justin Fields ready for that? I can't see the NFC South getting a second team into the postseason. I don't even know who the best team in that division is. I don't even care. I don't even think it matters. They're going to be the fourth seed. They're going to host a wild card game, and they're going to lose to either Dallas or Philadelphia. And then you have the NFC West. Seattle, okay, they're a candidate. Does everybody on the Rams get healthy? Matt Stafford, Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald, do they turn back the clock to two years ago? So there's not a lot of, like, you look at the AFC, which we have a lot with the Jets. You know, the Jets are a really, really good team. They were a really good team last year. They had crummy quarterback play. They fixed that one issue. They improved their wide receiving core. They're a really good team. But those spots, those playoff spots in the AFC, they're going to get gobbled up fast. And the Jets need to make sure they're one of the teams that is holding one at the end of the season. For the Giants, there's just not as much competition. I mean, is it Washington? Is it Green Bay? Is it Seattle? I mean, two of those teams have to get it. So that's why I don't agree with the premise that, like, if you just look at it from a mathematical perspective, yes, the Giants won a lot of close games last year. They had superior coaching, and the other team made mistakes. Tennessee missed a makeable field goal. Lamar Jackson imploded at the end of his game. They made a tackle on Jacksonville by the shoestrings, and they came up one yard short of stunning the Giants on the last play of the game. A lot of those things went in the Giants' direction last season. But you know what the Giants still have this year, unless I'm mistaken? The Giants still have superior coaching. And I know I've said this before, Dayball was outstanding last year. But I need to see it a second time. I think I will. But before I'm ready to cement him as one of the top coaches in the NFL, I do need to see him do it again. All right, reaction to this, 1-800-919-3776. Do you agree with Bill Barnwell? Do you think the Giants are primed to take a step back this season after going 9-7-1 last year, or do you agree with me? Do you think that mathematics aside, the Giants are on their way up? It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is... Is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Bill Barnwell's column on ESPN.com. He identifies four teams that are primed to take a step back this season. He has the Vikings as one of them. And we obviously are talking about the Giants, who he also has on the list. Now, here's his mathematical formula that allowed him to arrive at that with the Giants. 9-7-1 and one record last year, a minus six-point differential. And this year, according to ESPN's FPI, the Giants do have the eighth toughest schedule in the NFL. The other teams on Barnwell's list, the Eagles, but I think that's more a product of also a tough schedule, yes, but they were 14-3, and three, so there's more room for them to go backwards. The Eagles could go 11-6, and six, easily make the playoffs, but that is a three-game regression. And then the other team that he has is the Pittsburgh Steelers, who somehow figured out a way to finish 9-8 and eight last year despite being outscored by 38 points 
over the totality of the season. But anyone who knows Mike Tomlin knows that he is physically incapable of leading his team to a sub-500 season. I disagree on the Steelers, by the way, also. I don't think they're going to take a huge step back because they're another one of those teams that with a rookie quarterback last year and a potential dynamic wide receiver in George Pickens, they're a team that I think is on the rise, much like the Giants. All right, let's get some reaction to this. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to Chris on Long Island. Chris, how are you doing? Hey, Pat, I'm doing well. Uh, you know, I just got to laugh at all this stuff. This, this, I've heard, you know, even Peter Rosenberg was saying he's got the Giants finishing fourth in the division. I just laugh at all this because I'm telling you, I follow everything the Giants do, everything. And let's go back to last year, okay? They could have lost this. They could have lost that. You know what? They forced Lamar Jackson into those beds. That was Thibodeau forcing those plays, okay? And, you know, Jacksonville was, if you remember the end of that game, Giants pretty much outplayed him most of the game. Jacksonville got a lucky penalty at the end of the game, you know? I'm just saying, it's, you know, you can't, I love the way people pinpoint stuff. Like, they could have lost this. They could have lost that. And, and listen, at the, the very end of the season, when it counted most, they blew out the Colts at home. Now, the Colts stink, but they showed that they were the better team. They didn't get skate by. Then they go into Minnesota. Daniel Jones does something that no quarterback in the history of football has done in the playoffs. Uh, rush for 70 yards, throw for two touchdowns, throw for 300 yards. Great. But you know what people say? Oh, it's only against Minnesota. It's only against... Listen, that, you play who you play, okay? And I'll say this. The Giants have, I think, infinitely improved themselves over last year. This, first of all, it's the second year under this regime. They kept all those coaches, including the coach of the year, by the way. What is he, suddenly going to forget how to coach? You know, he's going to coach these guys up, okay? Listen, they improved their linebacking core. They got they had a very good draft, which I think they got a nice center in the middle there. And I think Evan Neal's going to have to step it up, obviously, on the offensive line. And don't forget, we, had, we still have one of the best running backs in the league, Saquon Barkley. We got two good tight ends. Waller's good, but remember, Bellinger is a good quality second tight end. We really upped our wideouts, okay? We got a nice free agent. We got Jalen Hyatt, okay? Uh, Darius Slayton's coming back. I, I think everywhere you look, and we just traded for the linebacker of uh, – you know, from Arizona, okay? We've improved in just about every area we had to improve. Plus, it's the second year in the regime. And if anyone thinks Daniel Jones is going to regress, I mean, the guy only threw 12 touchdowns last year, and he ran for five. Does, does anyone think, so what's he going to do? He's going to only throw for seven touchdowns this year and run for three? I mean, it, it just kills me, this regression thing. And I'll say this much, too. There are five games on the Giants' schedule. If they lose them, I totally understand it. I get it. Twice to Philadelphia, at Buffalo, at Dallas, and at San Francisco. Other than that, the other 12 games will be all winnable. Plus, you'll see it with the point spreads. When those point spreads come out, because people know, you know, those, those point spreads will all be close. You show me all the other losses that are coming there. I got them going 10-7. And, and, and without, without hesitation, I say 10-7. And, seven. Chris, and they're talking about make, a step back. I think you make a lot of good points. I do. I agree with a lot of what you said. I have long said this about the Giants. Last year was about Brian Dayball. Brian Dayball was the number one reason why they went from a laughing stock the previous five years to a playoff team. Year one was about the head coach. Year two is going to be about the general manager and Joe Shane because he is still digging out from the salary cap hell that Dave Gettleman left him. He still has a long way to go just in terms of putting his full thumbprint on this team. 
there's still a lot of stuff that he that he wants to do that he cannot do. I got to tell you this. He's impressed me so far. I know it was a hot topic of conversation over the summer, the way the franchise treated Saquon Barkley, the way running backs are treated in the NFL. If you want a general manager whose best interests are doing what's best for the team, then I was very impressed with how Joe Shane handled that situation. I know a lot of you want to weigh in on the Giants. We'll take another break. We'll get back to your calls uh, here on 98.7 ESPN New York. The one thing that I've heard that I don't agree with necessarily, I, I've heard, and it's become kind of a catchphrase. I think people say it because they think they sound clever when they're saying this. I've heard multiple people describe the Giants season like this. They could be better, but have a worse record. I guess that sounds like you've, you've cracked the code or something like that, but I don't necessarily agree with that. If the Giants are going to be better this year, they're going to have a better record. Wasn't it the Giants coach? The most famous Giants coach who coined that phrase, you are what your record says you are? Let's go to Cam on Long Island. What's up, Cam? Hey, how you doing? Thanks for the, uh, taking the call. Um, I think the Giants are going to have uh, the same record as last year, maybe give or take that, that, uh, that tie. And the reason why is that even though the Giants made about one or two improvements, so have the other teams. And – I think you're gonna get end up getting a net zero because they still can find ways to win, and um, they just don't have that cheat code that's gonna put them over the top. But they didn't fall apart to where they're gonna go under. So that's my take on it. Thank well, you. you say cheat code, Cam. Um, yeah. So, like, but here, here's my point when I'm sizing up the Giants, and I agree with you. That's a fair point, right? They don't have Patrick Mahomes. They don't have Joe Burrow. They don't have uh, a Justin Jefferson. But what team that they're competing with does have that cheat code? I mean, if you want to call Jalen Hurts, okay, that's one team. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually I don't know the question for that, but I'm going to throw this out there, and you let me know what you think. What is Saquon's motivation to – be the cheat code. That, that's what's going through my head. Like, I, I can see Daniel Jones like wanting to get to that level because he's gonna. He wants to produce a product. Like they paid for it, and he wants to deliver. But other than him, like, where's that motivation amongst the Giants to just well, be that extra? Saquon Cam, and thanks for the call. Saquon should be the most motivated player on the team. I mean, he signed. Um, a contract that would pay him an extra million dollars if he hits certain incentives. Otherwise, if he doesn't hit those incentives, Saquon ends up playing for the franchise tag, which he didn't want to do. But he had no other choice but to restructure his contract and add those incentives in. Let's go to Mike in Brooklyn. Mike, how you doing? Hey, what's going on, man? Thanks for taking the call. No problem. Um, I was just calling to speak about the whole Giants topic, and I also wanted to get to Trey Lance and the San Francisco trade. So basically what I was thinking as far as the Giants go is I feel like there's a lot of what-ifs on that team. And I feel like there were a lot of close games like you mentioned, and I feel like the real question for them is does Daniel Jones take the next step? How does Saquon play? Does the guy they add in the offseason, their big guy that they add in the offseason, does Darren Waller stay healthy? I mean, their over/under wins right now is seven and a half. So I, I think like teams around them got better. I, I'm not sure. I'm not too sure about them, and I don't. I'm not sure with their with their defense. 
the the offense, the receivers, a lot of a lot of receivers like Isaiah Hodgins, he came through for them big last year. Like I, I don't know how good they'll be this year, but. Listen, I think that the Giants are still a work in progress, and I think what you're expressing about them is what a lot of people feel about them. And this is also what tends to happen in sports when you have a team that's really bad for a long time, and then they come out and have a good season. It takes observers a little longer to buy in. The Giants, over the previous five years, coached by some combination of Joe Judge Pat Shermer and Ben McAdoo were the worst team in the National Football League. And all of a sudden, with the same quarterback who played a lot of those games, you get a new head coach, you get a new defensive coordinator, you get an easy schedule, and you go 9-7-1. and one. Is it real? That's the question that a lot of people are asking. I'll tell you why I think it is coming up on 98.7 ESPN New York.